Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Uh, this is what we have here. Uh, we had a beautiful weekend playing a lot of baseball and everything else. Uh, as everyone knows, my son uh, plays uh, in Little League and a Travel League team here. And one of the things is uh eats up a lot of time. People are like, how much time does it eat up? Ah, it eats up a lot of time, guys. And now with that, and we've had ongoing uh, family issues. So we're going to get back into the swing of things here with uh, everything that we're doing. So, uh, yeah, well, I spent basically uh, six hours driving between Saturday and Sunday between ball games, softball games with my daughter and other activities. So it's been, you know, it's been, uh, it's been rough. You know, you get home and it, I got home yesterday. I was completely exhausted. So as we uh, figured out with the, uh, let me turn this off. I know I am broadcasting on safetyfm.com. We're on Facebook, Twitch, as Safety Wars, uh, Facebook Live, and everything else. So yesterday, coming home, I whipped on uh, the podcast, uh, the uh, Safety Sage, Safety Mystic, and all-around great guy Todd Conklin uh, was uh, uh, at a... Uh, him and a lot of the other Safety FM people were up at a conference up in uh, British Columbia. And then you know, uh, all over the place, we have a lot of people coming uh, to the United States from out of country and around the network. Uh, now that COVID, uh, no, on Wednesday, no, I'm saying Thursday, the 11th, COVID is officially over. And people were actually getting to meet people and everything. So it's been a good thing. And anyway, on the way back, I'm listening to Todd Conklin's podcast and on the pre-accident uh, investigation podcast, and he was talking about an interaction with a guy. And I'm not going to uh, uh, go. You could go look, listen to, to the podcast uh, yourself, but real, real simple. The guy, he got into a discussion, and the title of the podcast was Conversations That Make Us Stupider. Uh, no, where you get nothing out of it. Ever have a conversation with someone and you're like, man, what the hell? I wasted my time. What the hell am I doing? This doesn't make any sense. That's 15 minutes of my life. I'll never get back again. And you get all these types of things. Well, he was having a conversation apparently at the conference that they were at uh, where uh, they, uh, I can't get my, video to zoom out so i have like my head is like this big 
you know, huge head on my uh, screen. It's very distracting. Anyway, he uh, got into this thing where uh, apparently someone approached him. I don't know where it was, what the context was, uh, and so got into an argument with him, had an axe to grind with him that we have to live by fear. We have to manage safety by fear. We have to be fearful. We got to make people fear us. We got to do this. We got to do that. And I think somewhere, if you've been in this industry long enough, no, starting like I got in the, in the early 90s, that's how you managed people. On a lot of these jobs, especially these construction jobs and these environmental cleanups, uh, all of it was uh, a lot of intimidation. You're going to do as I say or you're off the job You know, for a lot, at a lot of facilities. Uh, a big pharmaceutical company here in Linden, New Jersey, was famous for one uh, for this type of thing, where any type of infraction, you're fired. Uh, a lot of construction management firms are like that today, where they have no other tool because of the way the attorneys are set up, have set things up, not the managers, the attorneys. Uh, well, if there's any problem, fire them because we're a general contractor. This is the way it's got to be. We got to demonstrate that we're enforcing rules. Uh, and this whole thing about fear, making people fear you, well, Fear and respect are two different things here. What you really want is them to respect you, and then you respect them. Rather than being over the people, you have to try to make it like you're working with people. If you're working with people, interested in their job, things of that nature, using some of those their soft skills that everybody talks about, that's where you need, uh, where we need to be with everything. So I uh, had contacted uh, contacted uh, contacted Todd uh, this morning, saying, "Todd, do you mind if I comment on your uh, podcast?" He said, "Yeah, go ahead." And, uh, and no, uh, it's real simple. Why we don't fear people, and this you no know, uh, kicks into a lot of the stuff that we talk about or we have spoken about on uh, safety rules for radicals. Uh, those the Saul Alinsky rules where it's been, uh, where it's an issue with how do you, you know, uh, how do you manage things, how to push back and everything else. So uh, you could go back and listen to his podcast, but I'm, no, his whole thing is conversations that make things stupider. He was confronted by a person that, according to Todd, believed that safety management should be by fear. You have to make people fear you, fear the consequences, fear you, fear what you're going to do. And that's going to motivate people. And there are some people, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'll see it from the other person's point of view here. Sometimes it's true where if you have to rule by fear, it's extremely stressful on you and often the other person. And what happens? It's sort of like the yeller and the screamer on the jobs. Where you have a manager that's a yeller or a screamer, guess what the only way people will react to him or her? This is when they yell and scream. And this is not really sustainable uh, or anything else because, hey, well, it, you know, because you're going to give him a, a instruction, well, it can't be that bad. He's not yelling and screaming. So fear, what is, you know, uh, uh, no, fear was common back in the day. And what the problem with fear to be 
quote unquote effective, effective fear. I'm using air quotes for your people who are listening here. Uh, there has to be consequences. There has to be more than a threat, more than a warning. The item has to happen. So we're all as safety professionals. We know all about risk. Uh, yes, I did write things down here for a change. Risk. So what is risk? And we know those hazard matrix tables that they're pushing on those job hazard analysis analyses and job safety analyses. Risk is a factor of the probability of something versus the consequence. Real simple. So if you have a high probability of something and the consequence is nothing, is it a risky behavior? The answer is no. As opposed to, is it something that can happen and the consequence is very severe? Now you're dealing with a high-risk environment uh, situation. And there's a lot of subjectiveness here. And the attitude comes down to this with the workforce, a lot of the workforce, when you can rule five fear. If it never happened to me, personally, and this even includes seeing it happen to someone else, therefore it cannot happen. That's the problem with the hazard matrix table. That's how, right? Now, as a safety professional, is that how we manage it? The answer is no, but it's often how it's a symptom of message sent, message received. The message that's received is, well, guess what? Can ha happen. So a Apparently, Todd got into a little bit of an argument with the guy, uh, or I should say the guy got into an argument with Todd, which would be more accurate uh, according to the description. And there's a lot of things, consequences of this, ruling by fear. So I'm going to give you two examples. I'm going to go into some other stuff that goes in here. So the first example should be very uh, familiar to you. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, not, yeah, very familiar to you. This Thursday, I don't know if it's at 12 or 1 a.m. in the morning or sometime during the day. What's going to happen? Something very significant. COVID emergency is declared over by our president, Joe Biden. So we're, we know all about this, right? So, if you if someone says you're going to get hurt from an activity or behavior, if we are to believe that behavior the behavior based safety numbers, the likelihood of er you ever getting a serious injury from an activity or unsafe condition is very low. So it may not happen. So HOP Human Organizational Performance tells us primarily this is all primarily because the workers adjust their attitudes or there is safety in place in the form of guards controls. Something else, you can listen to Todd's uh, 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 podcast on that for really in-depth discussion. So if you're threatening that you're going to get hurt from something, and someone's going to get hurt, and it never happens, then guess what? It becomes less of a th effective of a threat, and there goes your fear in managing people. And something won't happen, therefore no one will take it seriously. You don't believe me? Look at the situation with COVID-19. Like I said, COVID-19. Not everyone got COVID-19. As a matter of fact, they stopped collecting statistics on this stuff like two months ago. So uh, 
the total deaths were just shy of about 1.1 million, and we know that's probably underreported or maybe overreported. We don't know. So the total uh, number of deaths, 1.1. Total uh, uh, reported number of actual uh, illnesses using round numbers around 99 million, 100 million, somewhere around there. Most of those deaths were for those older than 65, with one study coming out in New York that listed 93% of the people with cor- uh, of those dead had comorbidities, that's heart disease, diabetes, something else, that made them immunocompromised. So now, you can see that with those numbers, right, and if those numbers hold, you can see why fear stopped working with COVID-19. It's not that people got complacent necessarily. They got complacent because they weren't getting impacted. It was for people over 65 years of age, people with comorbidities, and everything else, or with other complications, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. So guess what? What does this translate into for the workforce? The average person who's not living with elderly people like me or people with comorbidities, right? There was no risk in their minds. And this was all going to be a bunch of baloney. And that is when all of the mitigation practices from mass social distancing and everything else became increasingly harder to enforce by the uh, uh, management and your workplaces and in the communities. That's just the way it is. Why? Because, yes, I'm wearing my Safety Wars t-shirt. Why? Because it wasn't seen as a risk anymore. This wasn't seen as a risk because the, uh, you can show them on the air here. It wasn't seen as a risk. It didn't impact them specifically. If you're dealing with a more traditional thing, like we're going to share in uh, number two, then it's a little bit of a different issue. The issue then becomes, well, I've never seen it happen to me or anyone I know, therefore the hazard doesn't exist. So here we have construction workers have a 1 in 200 chance of dying on the job if they're in a 45-minute uh, 45 minute, yes, yeah, somewhere 45 minute, 45 year career. Most of those accidents will happen with a younger workforce, believe it or not. Most constructions, the workers don't live 45, they'll work 45 years. They work with smaller companies. Then there is a perception, and it's not a correct perception, that uh, uh, less risk, uh, I'm sorry, with smaller companies, therefore, and there is less risk with larger companies. Larger companies have resources that to apply to safety. Falls are the leading cause of fatalities. Therefore, if you're not exposed to falls, then guess what? Not an issue for a lot of these folks. A lot of these folks that are in air, in workforces or in trades that are not exposed to falls, then guess what? The chances of them seeing a fatality or major injury is not is not very uh, is not very uh, likely. They may hear about it, right? But the, here's the kicker, right? You get the uh, you attitude. Yeah, you know, a lot of folks get the attitude 
hey, uh, it's going to happen to the other guy. They never see it happen to themselves. Therefore, it's not an issue. And that's a dangerous thing. That's a form of sociopathy, in my opinion, at least. I'm not a psychologist, but what's so psychopathy? Psychopathy is along the lines of, uh, uh, no, unable to, there's a lot of things you went through here as checklists. But one of the attributes is that, that they don't, the consequences have to be immediate for them, for them to be, take uh, 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 effect. So what, what happens? doesn't happen to them therefore it's not a real hazard way it is oh well the la and then you're gonna say well does that mean jim that if they see an accident they're gonna be more likely to work safely i'm gonna tell you no not one bit that is not true not one bit don't bet your life on it then you can say well why is that this is what happens well why was on a bridge and I got called in after the fact to help with the accident investigation and manage safety issues there. And the guy fell off the bridge. This was six weeks after they fired the safety person there because he was, they got tired of hearing him reminding people to wear fall protection. They made a decision consciously. The workforce are not going to wear fall protection. And the uh, management was okay with that decision. So you had a hundred people, roughly, give or take a couple, but it was about a hundred, see a man fall off a bridge and to his death. Now here's the question. How many people did we have to fire on Wednesday when we got back to work, got training and everything else? Now they had a zero tolerance policy put into place. How many people had to be fired because they refused to wear fall protection? The majority of them uh, were the only ones wearing fall protection that needed to wear fall protection on the job. Any guess? Oh, about 37. So you had 37% of the people that still, oh, well, that was their time. So it, that doesn't even matter. That fear thing, watching people die, having it done. And the same thing with the injuries. How many times does someone get injured? And then they say, well, they go back to doing the same thing. So the fear model really does not, is not really effective. Sounds like I'm rambling here, but there's a point to my rant. It's really not effective here. So uh, again, my question always is what's going to, what causes people to do what they do? That's an ongoing question in life. It's incentives. So let's go to number three. HR. We mention this often on the program. If you do if you're not going to have HR to give you authority to hire, fire, or discipline people, are you going to be effective in managing people through the fear model? You have zero chance you're a safety professional. Unless you're in the C-suite or a frontline supervisor or someone on HR, you're not going to be able to fire someone, discipline someone, or anything like that. So fear, this whole thing of fear, out the window. Because, they're, because one, they're not going to see the injuries. I mean, there is an injury, even a catastrophic or one. Oh, well, that's just the way it is. No, groove no happens. 
And now we have the situation here with, uh, uh, you know, with uh, HR not backing you up on the fear model. Why wouldn't they back you up? It's an extremely difficult model. to. You think that human organizational performance is hard? With the fear model. See what, see what the end results are. You don't fire the person. You don't discipline the person. You don't put that person in a fear and you make a fear. You have zero chance of that model working. But what are some of the, what we call in economics, externalities, unintended consequences of the fear model? A lot of them they are out there. And you cannot think clearly. People cannot think clearly if they're under stress. It breeds a company culture of resent and revenge, pain for pain. You want to work in a place where everything is pain for pain and backstabbing? <laughs> oh, man, I've been there many, many times myself. If you're living as a manager with fear and putting fear into people, there's a good chance, one, it's a trauma reaction, number one, to you, from your own mindset. But it also lets you hide behind a wall of intimidation prove, proves your own insecurity. It triggers a fight-or-flight response with everybody, always being amped up, always putting out fires, always doing whatever. You know, putting out fires is the, uh, no, emergencies. Everything's emergency. Everything's urgent. It disengages your team. Nobody wants to work together and that type of thing. Right? One person fouls up, you're all fired. Who wants to be on it to any team? That was my attitude for uh, one of my employers. You want People always wonder in the environmental consulting industry why there's such high turnover rate. Well, this is one of them. It's the high turnover rate is specifically because of this type of thing. Fear. You're always afraid of what's on that phone call or that what's going to happen on that damn phone. You're going to get a phone call. Now, now it's an email. Oh, my God. What's in that email? It's Monday morning. Oh, no. We're going to be living in fear and be intimidated. My boss is going to yell at me. Blah, 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 blah. And then what happens? Pain for pain. Cycle of violence and abuse. Again, training people, explaining to people, things of that nature bringing them on board, much easier way of doing things, much more calm working environment. And I'm not saying get rid of HR and, you know, hey, sometimes you don't have to fire people who discipline people. Yeah, but that should be like the last possible thing in your uh, tool, in your toolbox. And now if we can make it like a, uh, 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 make it like into a button on your desk, you should have a bunch of stuff piled on top of it and you got to go looking for it. To hit that fire button on that, and this all of this leads to this thing. A, a lot of stuff goes wrong with the safety stuff. You have shame. You got blame. You got retrain. So it's now, oh, you're a bad employee because you got hurt. What do you think is going to happen with that? That's like with the zero accident sign. Shame on you. You're going to get hurt. You got that zero accident sign going on. Oh, zero accidents, zero illnesses, zero injuries. But Frank got hurt. All we worked, 3,000 3, days without an injury until Frank showed up. Thanks, Frank. Do you want to be that person? 
to reset that number on there? I don't think so. One facility I actually worked at, a guy had an injury, and they made him go up in front. I mean, he wasn't a public speaker. They made him go up in front of 300 people to explain what he did wrong. Demean the guy. So with that kind of thing, do you think you're not going to, well, do you think that anyone's going to report an accident, illness, or anything else? No. Which means you don't get any data, which means that you cannot, uh, uh, without any data, you cannot prevent the next injury because you may have some useful data. You can't improve if you don't have data or anything else. It's not detailed. Any kind of accident investigation is not detailed. You're going to get that, what we used to call, specifically vague. Well, you know, this happened, and I, you know, it's all taken care of. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, you get that. And then ignoring that all-important root cause. And I don't even use that word anymore. I don't even like that phrase, root cause. Because nobody ever wants to get into the root cause a lot of times in management. So what's the root cause in an environment like that? The number one root cause is a culture of fear and intimidation. That's the root cause. How about another kind of root cause? Nepotism. You can hire people that you like or who are relatives. I think that's a kind of... Uh, that goes into this fear, lack of hope, hoping for that uh, uh, promotion and they hire someone who they know who is less qualified. Happens all the time. What else goes on? Hey, I, hey boss, uh, we need new uh, gloves. These gloves are wrong that we're using. Do we reuse those gloves for 30 years? I, well, we're going to continue to use real. Uh, suck it up if you get a chemical burn. So what? Your fingers are defatting and you're getting exposure through dermal contact through the hands. What do we care? Go back to work. Right? Go back to work. What else? This is this culture and climate of fear. You think that's helpful at all? Do you really want to be part of that kind of culture of fear? Not me. Not at all. So uh, we're going to stop for a second, and we're going to come back. We're going to take our first commercial break. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including... Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become 
amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy! Yeah, I found out over the weekend that I could use this mixer board as an announcer through a PA system. We had a lot of fun doing uh, walk-up music and entertaining at the baseball tournament I was at. Anyway, unfortunately, I can't play any of that here because it's all copyrighted music. But anyway, getting back to this, this is a safety war, the war in this, uh, a battle in the safety war here. This is Todd Conklin fighting the safety war up here, and he was very frank with it. So, how does this work? With uh, let's analyze this a little bit. They were going to come to agreement. And that was obvious, according to Todd. Well, how does this apply? Let's bring in some of what we already know. Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. Can you imagine and working in a facility where they face everything out there on fear and loathing and backstabbing and resentment and everything else? Puts the whole rules for a whole new uh, different light here. So here we go. Imagine going and dealing with a manager like that. Power is not what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. You're seeing the, your employer, your employees, and your coworkers as enemies. <laughs> what power do they think do you have? Uh, here's another one. Ridicule. I think this is number five applies. So what went on? Ridicule is man's most potent record. Uh, weapon. I think this is what might have the man might have tried to been doing. Ridicule. Todd's point of view. Right? Keep the pressure on. Never let up. They don't let things go. So this guy had been loathing this uh, Todd for a whole lot, lot of time. I don't see how that's possible, but you know, this is what it seems like. He, pissed, he came to him with an attitude, pissed him off. Again, constant pressure, constant pressure. And pick the target, number 13, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. Again, isolating, having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This conversation apparently took place in semi-private conditions. And this is all... Uh, this is all, uh, so what I, what, no, what this is, what, what we fight here. So about getting involved in these conversations, I try to avoid them. If I am with somebody, and this is an old political, uh, trick, right? Uh, now that we mentioned Saul Alinsky here, where you're going door to door, or you're doing some kind of campaigning. Hey, let me talk to you about something. I had some questions and you know, the person doesn't have questions, and they're there to tie you up. So what do you end up having to do? You have to end up cutting them short, and that's what ends up on the Internet today. Uh, there's a political operative right now in New Jersey who last week uh, was indicted on ballot fraud and election fraud. And everybody, all the articles I read on this individual indicated what 
uh, let's just say he was very disruptive. Uh, and campaigns I was involved in, he was one of the people that became disruptive and uh, tried to disrupt everything. Perhaps that's what was going on here with Todd Conklin with the guy disrupting things. He wanted to disrupt things, throw you off balance on this. And this guy eventually, uh, if indicted, uh, I'm sorry, if convicted, he's going to go away for a long time, like 20-some years probably. And... Uh, now, this stuff has a tendency of catching up to you if you're ruling by fear is my thing and intimidating people and yelling and screaming and everything else. It does not lead to good results. So what's the point? Human organizational performance using social science. We had a meeting last week for our uh, fall protection stand down. And... Uh, they, people felt that they learned more in that one-hour stand-down than they did in decades of experience in the construction industry. And what's my approach? It wasn't, hey, I'm smarter than everybody. It's easy when you start training where you start doing that in the beginning of your career. Now what's my approach? You try to build a common bridge with people. You try to get them, once you have a common purpose, a common uh, uh, experience, shared experience, talking with people. A famous radio talk show host asked, what was the secret of his success? We won't mention names here. And, he, and what he had said was, is to tell people what they already know and try to organize it in their heart what they already know, and you are able to articulate it, you're going to become a better talk show host. And it's the same thing here. I'm not talking safety FM, yeah, supply or safety wars. But it applies in dealing with people if you're a manager. If you're working with people, they're going to more likely, and you take an interest in what they're doing, and you have shared experiences, you're going to uh, uh, be able to get along better with them. After you, what you want to do is what, no, Aldo Leopold, famous uh, environmental philosopher, he wrote uh, Sand County Almanac, and it was required reading in uh, school for me. And when he said was something real, really uh, simple, ethics is not, morality is not going out there and doing the right thing when people are watching. It's doing the right thing when people are not watching. What you want to do is to be a trainer. You want to be a manager where you're managing people. And they don't realize that they're being managed. They realize that they are being motivated, incentivized. That's the other thing that people don't want to hear about uh, with the fear-based thing is what their incentives are to get people to do things. The incentive is fear. Guess what? That's going to fail uh, in anything. You incentivize this stuff. And management often does want to hear about incentive, uh, what kind of incentives, what kind of messages they're sending out there. But uh, to get back to it, work with people. Deal with people. Don't live through fear. When you do an act, don't blame people for this, for, for that. They're doing the best they can under trying circumstances. 
one of the, like one of the root causes that we were always used to have to choose was well the person was distracted because of external things so just keep there uh, keep focused oh really and then it turns out that the people who uh the people who were always promoting that type of thing don't be distracted had never gone through a major tragedy in their life it turns out, or at least that one that would impact them. Sick parent, sick child, sick other family member, financial issues, debt, psychological abuse. So it's easy if you've never been through any of that stuff to say, well, you know, a uh, person's got to work harder, try harder. Really? Patience, understanding always gets you into the better place. And I'm rambling a little bit. And that's what my homily is here uh, today. I don't think uh, Todd handled, mishandled the situation wrong at all. It's kind of hard to find out a way of how to handle that correctly. You're not going to change a person's point of view. So that's a bad matrix. I don't think Todd does not come across to me, and I've never met him personally, just through uh, emails, things of that nature, and on his podcast, that he needs to get even with someone, needs to take it out on someone. So, I don't know. It's just, be careful of those conversations that make us all stupider. If that even is a word. And... You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Must be a lot of people taking vacation there at OSHA. Their uh, press releases are a lot slower here. So I had mentioned this last week with uh, mental health. We had a lot of work, uh, violence issues over the weekend uh, take hold. But uh, a lot of, there's a lot of fatalities in there in the workplace around mental health. Uh, so I'm going to, I forget the number, right? I'm going to Google it really quick. Number of uh, workplace violence in Aladies 2022. So here we go. I don't have updated numbers, but here we have uh, 2 million victims of workplace violence each year. Right? Uh, 400 fatalities close to that in 2020 alone. My question is this, was last week, why, uh, you know, that's from one source, and 
from another source, 700, I think that's closer to the BLS number, Bureau of Labor, 700 fatalities in 2022 from workplace violence. Hmm. How many fatalities from uh, falls? So here we have, according to the BLS, your labor statistics, we had number of fatal work injuries in construction industry uh, are from falls. What are we looking at here? Over 800? Something like that? I forgot the number, but it's around 800. So here we have 800. Uh, Mm-hmm. 800 uh, fa- fatal falls in construction, right? The, the, the. Correct. Hold on. Let me say stop here, right? I didn't plan on talking about this today, so I don't have the numbers in front of me. Fatalities caused by falls of elevation continue to be a leading cause of death for construction employees south of OSHA, accounting for 378 of the 986 construction fatalities recorded in 2021. Okay, great. So 378 of the 986. Okay, so you had 378 fall protection Injuries. We took a week off and had a construction stand down for falls. Here we have double, right? The number of fatalities and workplace violence. Why aren't we having a safety stand down for that? Maybe that's a new promo there. My question is this. Why do we not have a safety stand down for mental health and for workplace violence, which is caused often by mental health issues? I don't know. Why aren't we doing that? Good question to ask. So here we have U.S. Department of Labor partners with Georgia agencies and employers to promote safety stand downs to address workplace mental health awareness. OSHA is collaborating with Georgia Department of Mental Health and Mental Health America of Georgia, uh, collaborating on uh, no, no, no. Uh, on mental Ill- illness. Workplace stress ranks high among stressors for mental illness, causing about 120 deaths each year. One survey, about 65% of U.S. workers said work was a very significant, somewhat or somewhat significant source of stress, right? Well, stress. So, again, workplace violence, why not have one? U.S. Department of Labor partners with Holder Construction Group, LLC, to promote workplace safety during the Trilf Community Project in South Atlanta. Here's another one from Atlanta. And there is a safety partnership agreement that was announced. EPA. Press releases. EPA launches $20 million program to address contaminated lands in Alaska. Funds available to tribes, consortia, corporations, and NGOs, that's non-government organizations, to address legacy pollution on lands conveyed under 
uh, ANSCA, Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act. The contaminants on some of these lands, arsenic, asbestos, lead, mercury, pesticides, PCBs, and petroleum products uh, pose health concerns to Alaska Native communities. So uh, basically, these are from abandoned sites out there, more or less like Superfund sites is what I'm gathering from. Uh, some of them related to the defense industry, some of them not. Biden-Harris administration announces $4 billion through the Investing in America agenda for clean port upgrades and clean uh, heavy-duty vehicles improve air quality and protect human health. EPA announces initial steps to invest in new Inflation Reduction Act resources for zero-emission trucks and port upgrades to reduce pollution and advance environmental Justice, today the U.S. EPA announced the initial steps in the development of programs that will invest $4 billion in from the Inflation Reduction Act in our nation's port infrastructure while reducing air pollution and advancing Biden's commitment to environmental justice. Okay. EPA reaffirms commitment to supporting small businesses during National Small Business Week. This week, and that means this last week, U.S. EPA celebrated National Small Business Re Week, paying tribute to the 33.1 million American small businesses that employ almost half the private sector workforce. In observance of National Small Business Week, uh, the EPA hosted a series of events that included small business contracting training and vendor engagement uh, that connected small businesses with EPA programming uh officials, and, uh, and large and prime contractors. EPA orders U.S. Air Force to address oil discharge at Travis Air Force Base. This is out of San Francisco from last week. The U.S. EPA today, this is March, May 4th, issued an emergency order to the U.S. Air Force to enhance and expedite measures to address an ongoing oil discharge into Union Creek from the Travis Air Force Base in Solano County, California. EPA has determined that a substantial threat exists uh, to local water bodies and shorelines because of the ongoing discharge and previous similar incidents on the Travis Air Force Base. This order is critical for ensuring that the Air Force addresses the oil discharge into Union Creek in a thorough and timely manner and that no impacts to public health occur. The EPA is committed to fully utilizing our authorities to make sure that the current oil discharge is stopped and similar incidents are prevented. So what are they uh, do? ordering? Spill recovery equipment, investigating and mitigating source of the oil, collecting the analyzed water sources, and implementing uh, actions to prevent oil from entering the storm drain and creek. The order also requires the Air Force to enter into a unified command structure that brings together the oil spill expertise of federal, state, and local governments to address the discharge. So apparently they were not doing this. Uh, oil discharges into the creek were identified by the Air Force in October 2021, but were not reported till February 4th, 2022. So there's a delay in uh, reporting there. Federal tribal and state law leaders launched Fusion Sound Federal Leadership Task Force out of Seattle on May 4th. 
Today, the U.S. EPA, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and Western Washington tribes kicked off the first meeting of the Puget Sound Federal Leadership Task Force, mandated by Congress in 2022 to coordinate the federal government's efforts to restore Puget Sound and to address tribal treaty rights. The legislation creating the task force was included in the uh, a National Defense Authorization Act of 2023 and uh, and amended the Clean Water Act to create a Puget Sound Recovery National Program office in Washington State. EPA and USIBWC, well, we'll figure out what that means, joined Mexico in announcing funding for infrastructure projects to address transporter sewage. This has been an ongoing issue for a lot of years here, trans-border uh, uh, sewage. The U.S. EPA and U.S. Section of the International Boundary and Water Commission joined the Mexico's Comisión Nacional de Agua, Canagua, and the Comisión Estada de Servicios Públicos de Tijuana, CESPTIT, to announce funding for two wastewater infrastructure projects. These projects will reduce the risk of spill of up to 60 million gallons per day of the untreated wastewater uh, in the Tijuana watershed. U.S. and Mexico will each contribute approximately half of the nearly $30 million cost. And everybody's happy, everybody's celebrating, and there was much rejoicing and everything else. EPA pr proposes new requirements for Haines wastewater plant to disinfect sewage discharges. This is, uh, I think, related to uh, the previous story. This is from last week. U.S. EPA, when uh, coordination from the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation is rising limits on the amount of bacteria and other microorganisms, Haines' water uh, wastewater treatment plant will be allowed to release into Portage Cove. Currently, the discharges from the Haines facility are not disinfected, contain high levels of fecal coliform and enterococcus bacteria, and rely on a large mixing cone, mixing zone area to meet Alaska's water quality standards for bacteria. Boy, I can't wait to have that Alaska salmon there. EPA announces $1 million for innovative climate pollution projects in the Denver area. All made possible by the Inflation Reduction Act. Incredible, right? Okay, how many minutes do I have left here? Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? All right, about three minutes. A little bit. So, as usual, Rockland County, where I live, is at the center of the storm. We have had, and I believe this made the national news here, and a listener, uh, sometimes listener to this program, uh, Ed Day, the county, com county administrator, elected uh, official here, 
uh, issued a state of emergency for uh, migrant uh, workers that are going to be uh, sent up here from New York City, approximately 350 of them to be housed in a hotel about four or five miles away from where we're broadcasting from the border of liberty and prosperity. And uh, if you had time to listen to the speech rather than listen to what's on the news, uh, it turns out that uh, that will increase the homeless population here in Rockland County by five. And we do, don't have the resources for that, at least according to the politicians here in town in, in town here. And this is one of those stories we're going to uh, be keeping track of here because this is not only this community, it's in a lot of communities throughout the United States where we have uh, immigrant workforces coming in undocumented, uh, often coming in illegally, are here illegally, and they're coming up and they're being all over the place. And there's been sort of like this is being done surreptitiously. So we're going to be keeping an eye on this story and seeing where this goes here uh, because, again, this is a national story and we are right here with all the players in this uh, right here in town. Here we have uh, a couple of other things here. Do, do, do. We'll do about we'll do, talk about wars uh, next week. So indoor air pollution. Two and three adults don't realize how unhealthy the air is inside their home can be. I'll verify that. All right, this is study came out of study finds in uh, Great Britain uh, where, hey, uh, they didn't know how unhealthy the air was. I tell you what, uh, as I said, people used to say, Jim, you're working on a hazardous waste site. That's dangerous. So not, that, that indoor, that air quality at a hazardous waste site, chances are, are is cleaner than a lot of homes. They look at you kind of strange, but it's nice to see that... Uh, uh, you know, uh, that at least now we have some studies nowadays that on indoor air quality, uh, you know, on the indoors. I mean, I used to be consulting all the time. I got out of it because uh, I couldn't com compete with fraud. And no, that is when you do an honest business, there's a lot of fraud in that industry in there. Uh, plastic pollution may be creating a whole new ecosystem in the o ocean. Plastic pollution has become an unfortunate fact of life all over the world, including the oceans. Uh, while all that junk floating around can pose a serious threat to humans uh, uh, and uh, many animals, uh, apparently there is some animals that are taking uh, advantage of this. Uh Apparently, uh, a lot of this stuff is creating its own ecosystem, and they're using it as a uh, shield. Apparently, uh, as because as like a uh, as a community, uh, sea rafts, blue sea buttons, violet sea snails. Apparently, they like this stuff. Who would have known? Right, so nothing's all as my dad used to say. God rest his soul. Not everything is totally good or totally bad. I think this pollution in the ecosystem 
is a bad thing. And I think it's going to be spun as not being so bad. So we'll see you here back here tomorrow night, God willing. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Pozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Good night, everyone.